Hey guys, welcome to the Challenge Podcast. I'm Coach Steve. And I'm Coach Nick. And we're going to be talking about everything fitness, health, and the challenge. Let's get on with the show. What's up guys, Coach Steve here, and welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner, where Coach Nick and I offer our tip for the week. Nick, how are we doing? I'm really well, thanks Coach Steve. How are you today? I'm well, I'm well. I'm excited because we are on episode number six of the Coach's Corner. So if you're finding the Coach's Corner for the first time, make sure you go check out the other five episodes we have and the other 101 episodes of the Challenge Weekly show featured on the Challenge podcast. So Nick, exciting episode today, episode number six. I know, and I love to look at the stats as do you. And I know that this is actually one of people's favorite podcasts, the Coach's Corner. It's just, it's jumped up there into into the heart of the challenges. So um, we love to make more content for you. So just keep loving it and it'll keep coming. Love it. So good. Nick, let's jump right into it. We are in our little coaches corner ring square. You're in the red corner. I'm in the blue corner. Uh, Take us away. What advice do you have for us today? All right. So mine is called does 500 burpees equal a large fries? So it's a little bit clickbaity. Uh, it's about it's, it's obviously about calories. It's about equating food to calories. And the reason that I am going to unpack this a little bit today is because in week two, uh, if we've got new people or if we've got season challenges, people are really starting to watch what is going into their mouth versus perhaps um the exercise that they didn't realize that they needed to do just in general daily movement. We got a lot of people saying, are you sure that I need to do 5,000 steps? I don't normally do that, that sort of a thing. So what I want to do is have a bit of a chat about the things that we usually see on Instagram where say you see a picture of a fry and then you go, how many steps do you need to do to burn this off? Now, both you and I, Coach Steve, are not of that genre. We are not of that ilk where we can equate exact food items to time and calorie burn. That's not what we really do. So um, I want to explain why. So here I go. Um, It's not that simplistic, even though it it looks really nice on an Instagram post to have um, a caloric value for something and then go, if you do 15 minutes of this, you can eat this because people love to be rewarded. And I understand that. The thing is, if you start to equate food with your calories burnt, you are setting up a really difficult relationship between food and training that you may always carry with you unless you can nip it in the bud from the start. It sets up an idea of having to punish your body with exercise. Um, it sets up an expectation of what uh, training can actually do in terms of caloric burn. Um, it sets up an expectation also that you can sort of out-train a bad diet, which is a bit of a cliche to say, but in this instance, it actually works. Um, So yeah, it's true that exercise and food um, obviously contribute to the overall energy balance of the body. That is true, but it's important to understand that they're not really interchangeable. So uh, from a simplistic point of view, if you are looking at the calorie burn on your machine, just say you are on a Stairmaster and you go, I have burnt 200 calories today on that Stairmaster and then you go and eat something that's exactly 200 calories. Firstly, I'm not even going to go into this, but food labels can be, they're allowed to have a 20% variance either way. Um, You you basically don't really know whether you've 
quote unquote burnt 200 calories. Um, activity trackers are really inaccurate. Your body responds differently to certain things. It is a really bad variable to pin your hopes upon to then try and eat back the calories that you burn. Um, so when we talk about the caloric burn of food, we're talking about um, the number of calories that the body uses to digest, absorb, and metabolize the food. So it's known as the thermic effect of food. And it only accounts for a small portion of the total calories that we consume. So um, in contrast, exercise, actually, this is the thing. Even though we've been sold that it burns a whole bunch of calories, it doesn't necessarily do that. Um, simply because our body adapts to it. Um, when you're weight training, it's not really going to be about the burn, even though we hear that it is. It, it might be that your muscles feel a bit sore and fatigued, but it's not because you have burnt a whole bunch of calories. Sure, you might, but it's actually about giving to yourself in the weight room. It's about adding, not really taking away. And it's long-term. It's about the muscle building process. Um, that's what's actually going to change your physique ultimately. So exercise isn't going to burn a whole bunch of calories. Um, obviously, it depends on the intensity and the duration of the activity. So like, for example, when I was out there doing big runs and big rides, there would be a huge calorie burn and I would feel super, super hungry. But what's the payoff for that? I would also burn through a lot of muscle tissue. I, I didn't necessarily look as strong or as lean as I do now. Um, so that's something to think about as well. So when people are sort of talking about doing the cardio, um, I want to do more, you need to really think of why, where are you coming from? Because if you're coming from a place of, I need to do that cardio so I can continue to eat everything that I want to eat and lose the weight, the body fat, that is where you're going to come unstuck. Something's got to give. And I don't think that piling on the extra cardio is the way to go to negate, to get rid of food. I think you have to accept, yes, I want to eat that and see it as a separate thing to the actual exercise itself. So relying on exercise alone to compensate for a high calorie diet isn't really a sustainable approach. And that's why a lot of people do the yo-yo, the yo-yo, the up and the down. Um, we'll see people do really well in the challenge and then we'll see them about eight weeks later and they've sort of regressed because it is very hard to keep up that level of exercise it takes to actually um, sustain all the other foods or the drinks that you want to have, things like that as well. Um, so I'm talking about fat loss as well here because if you're in a surplus and you want to gain muscle, you can go crazy. You can eat what really what you want, although I wouldn't suggest that either, but that's another topic for another day. So, um, yeah, we can go into, you know, different types of foods are going to also have a different um, effect in your body so as we said you know we love to prioritize protein um it, it is something that you, your body needs to use um it the thermic effect of that is um actually quite high more you know higher than fat so you need to look at that you need to look at all the different um macros that, that are in your foods to then see if um that is actually going to work you know the calorie burn is too much is what I'm saying. It's too much to think of. So when you see that picture of a large fries and 500 burpees, I think you've got to take it with a grain of salt and the salt needs to be on the fries and you need to eat the fries separately and then you need to just get on with your plan. So I'm not saying don't eat the fries. What I'm saying is bottom line, don't equate food 
to then needing to go off and burn it off. What you need to do is really understand that your plan has the calories calculated, including the exercise that you do in it already. Um, it's not like my fitness pal. That's where people say, oh, I want my fitness pal. My fitness pal actually suggests that you eat back exactly what you burn. And that is very, very um, random and antiquated and strange because uh, unless you're at maintenance, but a lot of people that are doing my fitness pal are not trying to be at maintenance. So um, yeah, our numbers are there for a reason. Trust it. Oh, Nick. With the with the goods with the fries. Are you getting the the spanner? Are you going to throw the it? Spanner. Out? No. Look, I think that um, I, sometimes some of the messaging behind those posts, such as "Hey, here are the large fries. Fries have um, you know five hundred calories in this serving of of potato fries," uh, and that also equals you know sixty minutes of running, and it's not wise to take that mental leap and say, well, if I want to eat those fries, I can just go for a run. Um, I think that is a, it's, it's quite a large leap. It's not just a step, it's not a, it's not a leap, maybe more of a jump, right? It's, it's, it's quite a big jump to conclude that, oh yeah, well, I can just go for a run and, and eat this because you're right. The calculation is often incorrect, um, but it can be a, nice little signpost before you take the leap and go, well, do you really want to have those fries? Because that equals 60 minutes of running. Uh, and it's so, it takes so much effort to complete physical activity like running, but then it's so easy to sit and eat a portion of fries or a, a chocolate bar or a milkshake or, you know, a bowl of ice cream. It's so easy to consume um, these, these calories versus trying to expend them. Um, so I think, Sometimes it has the it has the place that you know content like this or just awareness saying like hey this equates to this much activity do you want to be consuming this much but it also like you said doesn't paint the whole picture because when we look at our metabolism or our energy expenditure you physically going and doing formal exercise going for a run lifting some weights like you said, Nick, make up such a small portion of our energy expenditure. You know, it's down to, I think it's about 10% of our energy expenditure comes from physical activity. So it's probably better to say this large fries equals being alive for eight hours, right? Rather than these large fries equal 500 burpees um, because the energy expenditure just to stay alive for eight hours might be equivalent to you know doing a very massive workout and i'm talking massive like running a marathon because going to the gym lifting weights might be maybe 100 calories worth of energy running a marathon might be a thousand calories worth of energy but you being alive for the day might be 2000 calories worth of energy to make your heart pump and your brain work um but i think the biggest takeaway out of all of it nick is that it can create a very very poor relationship with food and a very negative relationship with exercise, where we're looking as, at exercise as punishment for the activity that we've done, where you've consumed a chocolate piece of chocolate, and then you need to punish yourself from having that piece of chocolate by going for a run for an hour, which is not sustainable and not a wise action to do. Mm. Um, do you know, the, the reason I wanted to talk about it as well, I forgot about this in my intro was, um, I don't have Facebook arguments very often at all, but this was actually with um, a school mum 
because she put up something about do you guys know about the spoonful of peanut butter and what that means and I just for some reason might have been in a bit of a mood but I said it's really I know that you're very enthusiastic and very keen and I love that but I think for someone who's just starting out it really sets up that fear of food I know it's about understanding but um, I just think it's, it sets up that a little bit of uh, sort of fear of, of what food is and then also this thing that, that you sort of chase where you can eat whatever you want and then spend longer at the gym or something. And you'll find that your physique never looks the way it wants, you want it to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a slippery slope of, of approaching dieting where we're you know, thinking about eating back food or trying to make the conversion of food equals this much movement. Um, which isn't always wise. Uh, yeah, if we take no, if we take that broader step back, yeah, like at the end of the day, to make a change in our body, we're trying to get an energy deficit. So we're trying to quantify these numbers. How many calories am I consuming? How do I measure my physical activity? Can I modify these two variables to push me into an energy deficit? Yes or no? Um, so we're kind of loosely talking about these things, but if you go all the way down to the weeds and say, hey, if I do this, then I can do this. Or if I did this, I have to do this. Uh, that's when it can get problematic when we look at the direct, uh, you know, transaction of it. Yeah, because it's just when our bodies are not bank accounts. Just think of it like that as well. Mm. Ooh, bodies are not bank accounts. I like that. Yeah. Nick, I'd like to take us over to the blue corner. And mm. I want to talk about addressing lagging body parts. Mm-hmm. Okay, talking about development of our physique and what you can do if you know of a certain area that is lagging. And for example, I'm going to use, let's say, the shoulders or the biceps or maybe your, your pecs or, you know, if you want to grow your glutes. If you are aware and certain that those areas are lagging, maybe not growing in the same rate as other body parts, or you want to selectively train those areas so you want to specialize in training those areas um, or if you're noticing some asymmetry like your right bicep is bigger than your left bicep or your right arm complex is bigger than your left arm complex what do you do how do you address lagging body parts and or imbalances in your body okay so firstly let's talk about body parts and the first thing we need to acknowledge is that it's sometimes difficult to point our finger and going, hey, your shoulders aren't as big as the rest of your body. How do you even start to draw that conclusion? It's quite objective uh, or, or, or subjective to the, the person who's viewing you. If you're on a bodybuilding stage like Nick, you are a physique athlete. Mm-hmm every judge would have a different opinion on what might be your lagging body parts. Some might say, hey, your shoulders, others might be like, hey, your glutes, others might be like, hey, you know, your lats or your back in general. Like it is quite a subjective thing that we can't um, objectively uh, assess, okay? Um, Next, it is primarily driven by genetic factors. We need to be aware of that, you know, muscle insertions, muscle size, muscle shape can dictate a lot of it. Um, And then genetic uh factors even just down to like the anthropology of a joint you know how your joint is shaped how wide your collarbones are you know how long your femurs are can change the way the muscles appear and look so genetics play a massive part of it but there are things that we can do to ensure that 
we can develop lagging body parts or specialize in certain areas. So first thing we need to address is our exercise selection. And this is pretty obvious. So if you wanted to grow your shoulders, you need to do an exercise that targets your shoulders. Okay, pretty straightforward. If you wanna grow your biceps, you need to do an exercise that take the biceps through a lengthening position and shortening position. So we need to choose an exercise that hits the target muscle. And primarily we wanna be hitting it um, with some specificity. So it's not an exercise that hits the target muscle as a secondary effect. So let's say you wanna train your shoulders, but you're doing a bench press. Yeah, the shoulders are involved, but with the bench press, the primary muscle would be more of like the pecs, right? Where the shoulders play an accessory role, but if you want to grow big shoulders, you wouldn't train your shoulders by doing just bench press. Okay, mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Next, we need to consider an exercise that has an appropriate term, what I call raw stimulus magnitude. Okay, well, I didn't call it that, but it's called raw stimulus magnitude. And this is a broad concept which talks about how much stimulus can you apply to that muscle. And really what we want is an exercise that has a large raw stimulus magnitude. And here's an example. So if we take two exercises that train the legs, we have a squat, let's say a barbell back squat, and we have a leg press. Which one of these two exercises could the majority of us lift the most weight with? And the answer is a leg press. More, more of us can lift more weight on a leg press than we can do on a squat. So, you know, for me, I've been squatting for years. I've been practicing a squat. I'm a power lifter in, in a squat. And at most, you know, I could squat maybe 220 on my back. But on a leg press, throw on, you know, 300 kilos, 400 kilos, you could do it for reps, of course, depending on the, the leg press. Why can we do this? Well, firstly, we can uh, load it appropriately, meaning that we can add lots and lots of load to the exercise. Um, a barbell can be difficult to add more load to it. Uh, leg press, you know, just add more plates to the machine, happy days. Next is the stability demands of it. A leg press, strap yourself in, you're good to go. It's a highly stable exercise versus a squat, lots of moving parts. And third, the complexity of the exercise. Squat, really quite complex. You know, you've got lots of moving parts, you've got balance to think about and, you know, positions to worry about. Whereas in a leg press, sit in and push okay so leg press has a higher raw stimulus magnitude than a squat and i'm not saying that a leg press is better than a squat but if we're talking about building big quads hey you might want to be doing some leg press so that you can actually load the thing this is more appropriate in something like let's say the shoulders if you wanted to grow big shoulders think of two exercises maybe a um a standing lateral raise where you might be able to do a lateral raise of anywhere between two kilos and at most maybe 10 kilos for a lateral raise. So you think the, the load that you can apply to that is maybe 10 kilos of load onto the deltoids versus maybe a seated barbell overhead press or a seated machine overhead press where you can load the shoulders with a lot of load, you know, for maybe a, a guy of my size, I could sit in a overhead shoulder press machine and you know press out 50 60 70 kilos okay happy days but then in a standing lateral raise with less stability more complexity i might be grabbing the five kilo dumbbells and maybe be able to do 10 repetitions so we need to be choosing exercises that have a 
greater stimulus magnitude so that we can actually load the tissues appropriately. Third with exercise selection is that we need to choose an exercise that takes the muscle through a complete range of motion or a range of exercises that train the muscle in a lengthened, mid-range and shortened position. So taking the shoulders again for an example, we want to be able to train uh, and, and load the deltoids through an entire uh, abduction. So going from the arm by our side all the way to our, our overhead. A different example, maybe using the glutes, um, a lengthened position of the glutes might be uh, at the start of a step up where you know you've got your thigh at your, your your chest basically so the glutes are lengthened and as we go to stand up that's where the most tension is in that lengthened position and then in contrast the shortened position is like a hip thrust where the glutes are shortened and it's under the most load so we want to be choosing exercises that train the target muscle through that range of motion mm -hmm. moving on from exercise selection we need to address our technique so when we are executing the exercise firstly we need to be completing the exercise with control with command over the load so if you are doing a lateral raise and you're basically being like a butterfly throwing your arms around that's very different to a controlled lift and a controlled lowering of um, the, the the dumbbell when you're doing like a lateral raise Similar to exercise selection, we want to be controlling uh, as much range of motion as we can. Um, so let's say a, a chest flyer exam, for example, if you notice that your pecs are underdeveloped, maybe you uh, move in a way that develops your shoulders more than your pecs, you want to be completing a, um, you know, anything from a chest flyer to a push up where you're taking the uh, movement into a stretch position and then through a shortening position. So you don't want to be executing an exercise where you are shortening the range of motion. If anything, you want to be trying to find and explore more ranges of motion. Moving on from exercise selection, moving on from technique. Uh, thirdly, we want to be looking at the intensity that we're training, training at, specifically training close to failure. So this is kind of in the realms of reps in reserve, RPE. You know, we want to be training the, the target muscle to a, a high level of intensity. And if we can't get that through standard straight sets, so if you're doing an overhead press and you're really struggling to get uh, close to a point of failure, we might need to look at advanced training techniques such as maybe drop sets um, or rest pause sets um, or even like a, a, a superset that complements that. So maybe you're doing an overhead press to a point of what is perceived fatigue and then grabbing some dumbbells and doing some lateral raises to add more uh, intensity, higher intensity to the deltoid muscle. Mm. Finally, we need to address volume and if we have appropriate volume or dosage of exercise on that target muscle. So if you want to grow big shoulders and you're only doing one exercise a week and you're doing two sets of that exercise, okay, maybe your volume is too low. Um, you might need to increase that volume to an appropriate range, maybe around these 10 sets, 10 to 12 sets of exercise for that target muscle. If you're doing uh, extreme levels of volume, you know, talking 20 plus sets, you might be on the other end of the spectrum where you're not actually getting any better gains. You might need to address the intensity before we add more volume to that. Now, Nick, talking about we've just spoken a little bit about body parts let's talk quickly about symmetry so i'm talking you know left and right right you know left arm right arm you know left bicep right bicep 
Essentially, it's the same ideas as before. We want to be choosing exercises that target those muscles. We want to be uh, choosing a technique that takes that muscle through a full range of motion, appropriate intensity, appropriate volume. But we need to address any imbalances. Now, it's a little bit up in the air if it's more appropriate to do um, unilateral exercises as opposed to bilateral exercises. It makes sense, you know, if you've got a small left arm and a big right arm, well, yeah, let's do more dumbbell exercises where you challenge both arms um, or maybe doing some single arm presses to really challenge the arm independently. Sure, okay, makes sense. However, in the literature, a little bit uncertain, you know, if you're gonna be pushing with both hands, you're activating both those muscles, so I can't confidently say that that's going to be better, but rationalizing, it makes the most sense. You know, do some more single arm work, single leg work, unilateral work. It will likely build up the, the difference in those muscle sizes. Now, the question always is, should I do more on the lagging body part? So if I have a small left arm and a big right arm, should I be doing more volume on my left arm? My answer would be not necessarily, you don't need to. You would probably, let's say you're doing a single arm bent over row. You probably wanna start doing the first set with your left arm and then match the same reps with your right arm. Whereas if you did it the other way, you might be able to do 20 reps with your right arm, but then only 10 reps with your left arm. Let's do the left arm first, do 10 reps, and then match the reps with your right arm. That's one way to approach it. But my biggest tip, my biggest tip when we're dealing with asymmetry, when there's a symmetrical difference, is to film yourself and reflect on the execution of that technique. Because you might find something really obvious. You might find that when you're completing an exercise, that one arm or one leg is doing something completely different to the other one. And it's blatantly obvious. You don't need to play a game of spot the difference between left and right. You just need to look at it with your bare eyes and go, whoa, geez, like my left shoulder is shrugging when I'm doing a row or my um, right hip is doing a little disco dance out to the side when I'm doing a squat. Sometimes it's really obvious that it's a difference between left and right. Then your goal is to try to find a way for those two body parts to move uh, in a more symmetrical fashion. And that could be to reduce the load, reduce the intensity, um, modify your technique, modify the external parameters like your foot positioning or the, uh, the, the barbell or those types of things uh, so that the two limbs can move in a similar way. But Nick, that summarizes what to do if you uh, have a lagging body part, both on a body part spectrum and in uh, symmetry between left and right. Gosh, I wonder if any of the federations are looking for a judge. Because <laughs> you're right onto it. You're right onto it. Um, I, I think if yeah. I was a judge, Nick, I would have too much empathy. I would be like celebrating all the good stuff rather than putting out all the nitty gritty. Yeah, true, true. But that's okay because your score probably wouldn't be counted then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah. everyone's, everyone's a 10, Nick. Everyone's great. I know. But you're yeah, up no, there, I, you're training, how good. <laughs> I know. You, you are better as a coach, I think. This is why I can't do the judging in the in the challenge. I, I think everybody's a, a winner. I, I yeah, I agree. I'm, I can't um, look at people and, and decide about that sort of stuff. I'm happy to participate, but, um, yeah, I don't envy judges in that way. But, yeah, in terms of what you're talking about, um, yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, you know, anecdotally, 
I spent a long time in the shed with a couple of dumbbells over the last few years building my shoulders. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad I did. Um, that's all I have to say. <laughs> Boulder shoulders, Nick. Yeah. If you ever, the thing is, if for women as well, um, this has sort of gone out. It's not really a big deal anymore, but women used to not want to train up a body very much. But um, just in terms of symmetry, you you wouldn't even understand what it does for you until you actually do it and do it well, because suddenly you get, um, you know, the broader shoulders, the bigger shoulders, which actually makes your waist look smaller. Because I don't think my waist has changed whatsoever, but my shoulders have just gotten so much bigger that it makes it look like, I look like a Dorito. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, no. Two cents. If you want to look like a Dorito, follow Coach Steve's instructions. <laughs> no, I love it. Like talking about maybe differences between male and female, um, it is quite obvious that men in general will have more upper body strength than women. And it, I can't speak on behalf of women, but I have an appreciation that it's very difficult to train the upper body in the same way as it is for a guy. For most guys, walk into the gym, just look at a look at a dumbbell and your biceps grow, your pecs grow, your back grows, your shoulders grow, happy days. And that's why you get the stereotype of guys who don't wanna train their legs because they just get really easy upper body gains. So great, let's stay with easy. Let's just train our upper body. And then in contrast, women um, finding a little bit more challenging to train and grow muscle in their upper body. All right, let's party with the legs. And then you have women who have just incredible incredible, uh, you know, quads and hamstrings and glutes um, where they might be lagging in the upper body because it's just so difficult. And not to say that these women aren't training the upper body, they're probably training them harder than what the guys do, but then really struggling to have the same level of growth. And again, coming down to my very first uh, point I made is that genetics play a massive part. So if you know that, hey, you know, my biceps and triceps aren't growing and you're a female, okay, we've got a little bit of work to put a, a, in ahead of us, not saying it can't be done, but you compare that to um, a guy who's in their 20s who just goes to the gym, they just look at a dumbbell, their biceps grow. Okay, it's it's not the same playing field. So we, we do need to strategically put in effort if we want to make these, these muscles grow. Yeah, and also you did say um, there's also a genetic factor to it as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, just you may you may try and try and try and it just they just never get huge. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. But you can always do the best you can because if you see my parents, they don't really have big hulking shoulders and all that sort of stuff. But unless there was someone way back in the Roman times, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and and like talking about genetics is an interesting one because oh, it is. we all play like our strengths, right? Like you know, I've got a I've got a buddy who um, him and his brothers have like the biggest arms that I've, I've witnessed. Right. And because they have big arms, they like to train their arms. So they grow their arms. So there's just this pos <laughs> positive, cycle. it's this positive cycle of, yeah. Hey, they, you know, you see photos of them and as they're teenagers, they've got massive arms, small chest, small shoulders, not really going to the gym. And then because they have that size to start with, they grow and grow and grow on that. And that's their favorite thing to train because it's this positive feedback loop. For me, um, on um, my mom's side of my family, a lot of very big legs, right? Um, and a lot of our insecurities with big legs on, on that side of the family, but then um, lots of uh, cyclists on that side of the family um, coming from uh, Europe, that's the, the German side of me. Um, but that 
is what I've inherited and I found growing my legs really easy compared to others, which is why I have uh, a little bit more muscle on my legs because of the genetic factor. And then I enjoy training my legs. So it's this weird, you know, catch 22, what came first, you know, the genetics or because I have the genetics, I can train them and grow them. So uh, it's this weird cycle, but, um, you know, we can either look at, at genetics as a, uh, uh, a cage. Hey, I don't have, you know, big arms because I wasn't born with big arms. And we can confine ourselves in that cage and go, well, it's just not for me. Or you can work on it, right? Like you said, Nick, no one maybe in your family had big shoulders, but what did you do? You just worked on it, right? Constant and never ending. Yeah. Shoulders. <laughs> so you, you didn't say, oh, well, that's it. I don't have genetics in my family of big shoulders. Oh, that's it. Hang up the towel and on shoulders. No, you did something about it. So if you're listening to this and you go, well, geez, no one in my family has this body part or, you know, I, you know, my, my dad didn't have broad shoulders. I won't have broad shoulders or, you know, my family don't have, you know, big legs. I won't have big legs. No, uh, it can complement and help, but it doesn't mean that it's not on the table. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Nick, we have thrown a few spanners today. We've spoken about French fries. We've spoken about eating back calories. We've spoken about lagging body parts and then even a little stint about genetics at the very end there. That was my favourite bit. What an exciting coach's corner, I reckon. Yeah, I like talking about genetics. I even like talking about epigenetics. That's another one. Let's talk about that another time. Ooh, yeah, we might have to go down a rabbit hole on that one. I know. Let's wrap it up there, Nick, for episode number six of the Coach's Corner. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know, and we'll catch you next week for episode number seven. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Or leave us a review on iTunes to spread the good word. See you next time.